10 Minute Talks, a podcast in which the world's leading professors explain the latest thinking in the humanities and social sciences in just 10 minutes. Hello, my name is Dermot McCulloch and I'm a fellow of the British Academy, which is the UK's national body for humanities and social sciences. And today I want to help you to make the real Thomas Cromwell stand up. In just 10 minutes, I've devoted my academic career to Tudor England, and you can't help meeting Thomas Cromwell pretty quickly then. My old doctoral supervisor helped because he was Sir Geoffrey Elton, and he was frankly rather obsessed by Thomas Cromwell. But as I came to the end of my own active academic career, I thought what a perfect book it would be to write a biography of Thomas Cromwell. And as I researched, and uh, wrote, I discovered someone else was writing about Thomas Cromwell, Hilary Mantel, writing what are now three brilliant novels on the subject of this great Tudor statesman. And we kept in touch once we realised we were both writing. And I have to tell you that what you find in her novels is something really rather like the real Thomas Cromwell. But we're doing different things. I'm a historian, she's a novelist. But what do I find? when I look at Thomas Cromwell. Well, for one thing, I have to deal with the archive, which is huge, thousands on thousands of letters. But as you go into it, and I went through them all, I discovered something really rather odd about it. It's all the stuff which came in, what we might call in email terms, the inbox. And what was going out, what you might call the sent mail, is just not there. So you've got thousands on thousands of letters from outsiders to Thomas Cromwell and nothing virtually 300 or so in other people's archives of his letters out. Why is that? You might think, well, it's natural. You, you keep uh, the letters coming and you don't keep them going out. No, not so with a Tudor archive. Something's gone missing. Thousands on thousands of his letters have gone missing. I think that what happened was that when he was arrested, his household hearing of his arrest, sat up all night burning that scent mail. And so we just haven't got it. Uh, for the, uh, what they wanted to do, of course, was to save him. Uh, because what you write to other people is going to incriminate you rather than what they write to you. Good try, didn't work, but it's, it's changed the nature of the archive. And I had to deal with that, as did Hilary Mantel. How do you get to the real Thomas Cromwell when you can't hear his voice? You can hear him reflected in the voices of other people, but you can't get the man. That was a real problem. And I had to do various sort of what you might call, what you might call oblique things in order to meet the real Thomas Cromwell. One thing I did was actually look at his portrait, the famous Holbein picture. And frankly, it's not a very flattering picture. It's a puffy bureaucrat within a minute of losing his temper. And yet, uh, the interesting thing about that portrait was that it hung on his own parlour wall. He was prepared to live with that unflattering picture. And I rather liked that. It reminded me of something uh, recorded about his collateral descendant, Oliver Cromwell, 
who famously said to the portraitist Sir Peter Lely, paint me warts and all. And it was as if that was a sort of family joke in the Cromwell family. But what this told me was here was a man at ease in his own skin. That was rather engaging. And then I looked at something else which wasn't exactly a document. His coat of arms. Coats of arms matter tremendously in the 16th century. Heraldry, we've still got it. But it, it, frankly, it's a bit of an antiquarian pleasant pursuit these days. Not so in the 16th century. Heraldry was the language of power. And what you put on your shield, your coat of arms, really mattered. It had messages. And it was important to read those messages right, rather as we have to read road signs right, because something rather unpleasant happens to us if we un misunderstand them. Now, what did his heraldry say? What it said was, I am Cardinal Wolsey's man. Cardinal Thomas Wolsey was Cromwell's first great employer before his service with King Henry VIII. And this heraldry was not actually registered with the College of Arms during Wolsey's lifetime. It was registered two years after, when Cromwell had entered the King's service. That's extraordinary. By that time, Wolsey was the yesterday's man in disgrace. And yet, Thomas Cromwell still proclaimed his allegiance to Wolsey. I thought that was very interesting and unexpected because it would have annoyed two people of huge significance at the Tudor court. One of them was Thomas Howard, 4th Duke of Norfolk, who was, was his enemy. And the other was the niece of the Duke of Norfolk, Anne Boleyn, Queen Anne Boleyn, as she was going to be coming. And now there was a symbol that this rising politician, statesman alongside the Queen, was actually the man who was the servant of Wolsey, whom effectively Anne Bullen had destroyed. She must have been furious. And it went against the common story of the relations between Anne Bullen and Thomas Cromwell, because they've always been seen as allies, right from the 16th century, in fact. No, they hated each other, they loathed each other, and she obstructed his career with the king. It became quite obvious as I went through the papers that his career had stalled while Queen Anne was on the throne and then she was executed. And that made sense of something else. It was quite clear that Thomas Cromwell had been at the heart of her execution. And that's always puzzled historians. If these people were allies, how could he turn against her? Is that just treachery? No, they always loathed each other. And his career took off after her death. And also, that brought another relationship with it. Because if Cromwell and Anne loathed each other, that would very much interest another great lady at court, the Lady Mary, daughter of the previous queen, Catherine of Aragon. Now, there was something unexpected because it be became obvious as I looked through the papers that Mary was the ally of Thomas Cromwell. In fact, in the end, she became godmother to his first grandson. An unexpected relationship. So the fascination of the man grew and grew. All sorts of unexpected relationships leapt out at me. 
and the foundation of his career was his service with Cardinal Wolsey. And what was that service about? Cromwell was nothing when he entered the Cardinal's service. And yet, uh, out of all the jobbing lawyers and moneylenders in London, Wolsey took him up. Why? Well, there I, I delved back to Thomas Cromwell's very odd early career. He ended up in Italy. An obscure boy from Putney, he went to the centre of civilization in Europe. And he came back mysteriously well-educated, fluent in Italian, in German and Latin. But that Italian was what was important. Because when he entered Cardinal Wolsey's service, he was there for a very specific purpose, to deal with the Italian craftsmen making the Cardinal's tomb. And around the Cardinal's tomb were fleet, a fleet of clergy to pray for the Cardinal's soul, organised into collegia, fleet of clergy, colleges, colleges of clergy. Wolsey founded two colleges, one in Ipswich, his hometown, one in Oxford, his university base, uh, before he was a um, great man. And now those two colleges would be organised by Thomas Cromwell. And they'd be financed by the money from little monasteries, which the Cardinal dissolved. Hey presto, there was an explanation for how Thomas Cromwell, the obscure boy from Putney, entered the service of the second greatest man in the realm and went on into the service of the greatest man, King Henry VIII. Well, those are just a few of the things I discovered. And maybe if you read my biography, you'll discover more. But of course, you could do what historians do and research for yourselves. Thanks for listening to this British Academy podcast. Please subscribe, share and rate this series from wherever you get your podcasts. For more events and conversations, please visit www.thebritishacademy.ac.uk or find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.